Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Back to the Neil Haley Show and also the Media Giant Effect. I'm excited to welcome the program entrepreneur, CEO of Hunks. And I want to talk a little bit about that. And Bezos, the beginning. Again, I'm excited to welcome Nick Freedom. Nick, thanks for stopping by, man. And how did this whole start, the whole entrepreneur journey for you with Hunks? Yeah, so uh, I was brought up to follow the traditional career path. And the summer before my senior year of college, my buddy from high school, his mom had this beat up cargo van from her furniture store. She said, why don't you guys borrow the van? You guys could be like hunks who haul junk. And we said, you know, that's got a catchy ring to it. So we called ourselves college hunks hauling junk and started putting flyers in mailboxes. People had a need for the service. They thought the name was catchy. And I always tell people we had the 800, we had an 800 number, but it was still routed to our cell phone. We put it on the back of the truck and people would call the 800 number to complain about driving. And I'd be in the driver's seat, you know, <laughs> pretending like I wasn't the one driving, telling them that, you know, hey, we'll fire those guys when they get back to the office. So probably fired ourselves three or four times that first summer. And now, you know, fast forward, 15 year overnight success. I like to call it. We've got over 200 franchises around the country, over, you know, 300 million in annual sales, uh, you know, over 5,000 hunks uh, moving furniture and hauling junk all, all across the uh, United States. So it's it's really ballooned into quite a success story. And what would you think catapulted you to that level? Uh, you know, a combination of patience and persistence, quite frankly. Uh, like I said, it, it, no overnight success happens overnight. We, we learned very quickly the importance of branding, culture, service, and uh, just, you know, being creative with our marketing. You know, anybody can go out and get a moving company, but we had a catchy name. Uh, we provided a good service. And then we just figured out uh, ways to create a culture that employees wanted to work in. And uh, even though it was, you know, heavy lifting and in blue collar work. And then ultimately the franchise model is what allowed us to, to scale across the country. And that's the challenge. You want to make it so that it's just like the ones that you've created to make sure that they follow that model and be out there as the face and all those things. And that's the biggest issue. And it, and it takes patience. You talk about patience and that's the, in the Bezos movie as I've been watching it, it the same thing as patience, uh, what Jeff Bezos did, waiting 20 years. You, Yeah, you, we, we like more, to say- Would you be willing to say, I'm waiting 20 years to make a profit? Would you, no, I don't think I'd wait 20 years to make a profit, but I would wait 20 years to be as, you know, a, a, a you know, multi multi-billionaire like Bezos is. So, uh, you know, he, he was on to something. Uh, but I, I, you know, talk about my experience with making that movie. It was it was very much like the entrepreneurial experience we had just, you know, grinding from the very beginning. And, uh, you know, I say patience for results, but you got to have urgency of effort as well. You got to be willing to to do the 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 
heavy physical, literal heavy lifting in our business. But, uh, you know, the, the, the hard grunt work of, you know, in, in Bezos's day, it was trying to find investors and, and making sure his, his, his early employees were working day and night coding the website. And so, uh, you know, learning how to also work on the business, not just in the business, that's what ultimately allowed us and our company to get out of the trucks, start having employees and start, you know, building a, a real company instead of just, uh, you know, having a job hauling junk ourselves. What made you want to be part of this movie and make the be a big part of the movie. How did that happen? Yeah. So, so I had, my business partner and I had done some unscripted reality television. We were actually on the very first episode of the very first season of Shark Tank. And then we were most recently on Undercover Boss. And then I met this gentleman, Armando Gutierrez, who actually happens to be the owner of the Tampa Yankees minor league baseball team. And he was telling me about how he had been making movies and selling them to Netflix and, and Apple TV. And I said, well, you know, that sounds interesting. I've done some TV. It'd be fun to get involved in a movie. And he said, well, actually, I've got this entrepreneurial story. It's going to be the first movie ever made about Bezos, Jeff Bezos from Amazon. I was like, how has there never been a movie made about that? So then I read the script and I was like, you know, I can identify with this this entrepreneurial startup story. Now, there's several zeros missing from our uh, revenue uh, relative to Amazon, but there's not a day that goes by that, you know, multiple boxes aren't showing up on our doorstep. And, uh, you know, he's in the logistics business. I'm in the, the logistics and transportation business. And so uh, I, I read the script and said, you know, I'd like to try an audition for the role of Shell Caffin, who was the very first employee who Jeff Bezos hired uh, to come write the code for his website. And it was, again, kind of like my experience with College Hunks. My business partner, from my buddy from high school, approached me with his mom's cargo van and asked me if I would help him uh, hauling junk with, with that business. So there were just a lot of layers for me to be able to then also be part of the first ever movie made. It was kind of a unique experience and a way to stretch my comfort zone as well. And what do you think of, you know, the specifics of when you're filming that to be an actor? You never thought actor too, right? You run into somebody and now you're an actor, right? You are the reality star, like, you know, being first in Shark Tank, then then undercover boss, but then put yourself in a movie. What does that mean for you next, right? Yeah, well, well, certainly, I guess in, to some degree, it's a bucket list item. I can now say in one of those, like, things you might not know about me, I've acted in a movie. Uh, I've got a lot of respect for what I'll call professional, real actors, people who who, who have do this as a craft. And and I don't want to undermine their their abilities by just me, you know, voluntarily coming out and trying to act in a movie. Uh, I think I did a pretty decent job, but there, you know, there's a lot of acting that has to go into uh, being an entrepreneur in and of itself, not necessarily being, uh, you know, misleading, but just, you know, having to play the role, you know, sometimes put on the smiley face, even though you might be, uh, you know, challenged inside or, or, or a little bit nervous about the results. And so it, it was an opportunity for me to just sort of step in front of a camera and, and test my abilities. And I think it would be something I would, I would be open to doing again in the future. You know, we'll see how the movie does when it, when it comes out uh, next week, but we're, we're excited about it. And, and certainly something that I could see myself continuing to be involved in, in the future. You put yourself in that role, meaning like now, not just, but also an executive producer. So now how does that feel? What, what does that mean for you next? I mean, do, are you going to get involved and fund other movies or be part of it in that yeah. way? Yeah, I, I think I could see myself getting involved in, in other movies. I mean, it has to be something that I'm passionate about. I think this script really spoke to me as an entrepreneur. Something I'm passionate about is, is sharing entrepreneurial success stories and being inspirational for others. And so if there's a, a script or a story that I can get behind, I could certainly see myself getting involved both on the production side. And then if it's a fun role that I could see myself playing, maybe on the acting side. Uh, my wife likes to joke that, uh, you know, I could play the Justin Timberlake story in, uh, in, in play the role of Timberlake, but I would need a stunt double for the singing and the dancing. Uh, and so it probably wouldn't work right. 
You know, one of the biggest scenes so far, I didn't watch the whole movie, but I've watched parts of it, is with Kevin Sorbo. And when he told Jeff Bezos, after Jeff was so excited to get to talk to one of the kings in the industry of books, because Jeff really tried to put his mind into, I'm only thinking books. You know what I mean? You, we all think of Jeff Bezos as this giant of all services now with Amazon, you know, expanding this so many different ways. But he was just thinking books. And it really spoke to me also in books because my first clients in social media management and marketing have been authors. So when I started hearing the whole story and seeing the backstory of books and seeing how backwards they were, how about Kevin Sorbo, how amazingly disrespectful he was to Armando in that scene, especially at the, then the second one, the Armando let him have it. But what are your, yeah. what are your thoughts on that? Of how well Kevin played this character. Oh, I thought Kevin Sorbo did a phenomenal job. You know, he we know him as the hero of playing the role of Hercules, you yeah. know, in, in the movies back in the day. Uh, but he played a great villain in this movie as the CEO of Barnes and Noble. And, you know, we also, you know, you, you mentioned we kind of forget that Amazon started out as just books, buying books online. And now it's just this, you know, universal retailer of everything that you can get. Uh, and and Bezos was so excited to talk to the CEO of Barnes and Noble to see if maybe they could even partner up or team up. And and Kevin Sorbo, who played the role of the CEO of Barnes and Noble, basically said, you know, I'm going to crush you. Don't even try to get in my business. And uh, Bezos used that as motivation. You know, a lot of people might fold under that pressure. Uh, you know, Sorbo tried to buy him out at one point and, and Bezos, you know, ended up saying, you know, uh, go fly a kite. I'm going to go, you know, put you out of business. And and to have those kind of guts with, you know, with at the time not being profitable, barely having any money and having an idea that most people thought was crazy uh, is just, you know, pretty wild. It's 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 not everybody's cut out with that that sort of uh, gumption or, or grit or tenacity to be able to do it. Something else that I had learned in this experience as well is that uh, Amazon.com originally was going to be called Relentless.com. That was the original yeah, website that, that Bezos that. bought because that's what he thought he needed to be and his team needed to be and the company needed to be uh, to, to destroy the competition. So he he was a bad, bad man in terms of his uh, his attitude and his energy. And how he was able to take everything out of the mind and as an entrepreneur, and we see this as a challenge, you know, with family members and everything to just really see the vision. For 20 yeah. years. And for I mean, bar borrowed his parents' life savings and, and yeah. put that at risk, was willing to, you know, work these guys to the bone. The guy that the role that I played, Shell Caffin, you know, was was ended up having uh, kind of friction with Bezos in the movie because he wasn't I wasn't getting the same shares uh, as, as you know, Mackenzie and Bezos's parents uh, as, as founder shares. And so, yeah, I mean, he 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 really just had everything that it takes to to lay it on the line. And it, especially if you think about it, at that time, most and even today, most tech startups don't make it. Uh, but there was no such thing as work-life balance back then. There was no such thing as, hey, working remotely and then taking a break. It was like 24-7 in that garage. The sleeping bag. The, code. the sleeping bag. I mean, come on now. So, no. Do you think you'll ever get a chance? Have you ever met Jeff Bezos? I haven't met him. Uh, I, I hope he gets a chance. I hope he watches the movie. I hope he likes it. I think it was a fair portrayal. Uh, it was based on the book Zero to Hero, uh, and it was all based on factual uh, accounts and 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 uh, uh, occurrences. 
Um, but it is going to be available on Amazon Movies now and, and you know, Apple TV. And so, uh, I, you know, I do hope I get a chance to meet him at some point. He's certainly an inspiration, I would say, to all entrepreneurs uh, about what's possible and thinking bigger. So what are you thinking bigger now? What's new with you with, with, with your business and where do you see it next? So with College Hunks as a as a platform, we see that there's there's nothing that can you know prevent us from becoming a multi billion dollar uh, enterprise or a platform business. Really, is the way I see it. Uh, you know, moving and, and hauling is you know most you know stressful time in somebody's life that they're having to deal with clutter or, or transition, and we're able to remove that stress. So it's a huge industry. I think we have an opportunity to capitalize it, disrupt it a little bit using technology, and uh, you know not getting complacent. Uh, you know, it's, it's very easy to sort of get to a certain level and be comfortable. Uh, but I think Bezos has shown us, you know, he's not stopping. He's going to outer space. So if the guy that has everything is still willing to explore and build and dominate, uh, you know, then what am I doing? I've got to keep doing exactly. the same thing even at my level. And the serial, are you going to be a serial entrepreneur? Is that what you're seeing yourself? Do you see I, I think so. I mean, are yeah, you you're going to be an angel investor in things. Are you thinking that route? Yeah, you kind of see it with me, you know, playing a role in this movie. It's just something that wasn't sort of in my core previous experience, but I wanted to take a test and try it out. And and I think I'll def definitely do that with new businesses. I've gotten into some real estate investing. Uh, we have some other biz uh, business concepts that we've launched and, and certainly would love to get involved as an investor and in backing uh, other startups and successful businesses as well, um, you know, to kind of tie it all together. So it Bezos, the beginning will be available on the 24th, right? Or is it? Or, yep, January 24th. Uh, it'll be available on iTunes, Apple TV, uh, Amazon Movies Now, Google Play, and then pretty much any video on demand platform uh, where people might have, you know, cable or, or the, the smart TVs, they're going to be able to find it. Bezos, the beginning. And then for you, where can we find info on you? Best place. Yeah, so best place for me, I actually have a personal website. We set up nickfriedman.com, F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N, nickfriedman.com. And we've got, uh, you can connect with me on social media. You can contact me. You can learn about our College Hunks Hauling Junk business, our franchises, our moving services, and uh, and all those other fun things. Appreciate it, Nick. Thanks for taking, taking the time. Neil, thanks so much. I appreciate it. You're welcome. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to Neil Haley Show and also the media giant effect. I'm excited to welcome first my co-host from Strategic Wealth Strategies, Alan Porter. Alan, what's going on, man? And this is really interesting. We're going to talk to the person who played Jeff Bezos. To know Alan, I did not know he was a hedge fund guy before the whole Amazon thing. Did you know that, Alan? I had no idea. That's just intriguing. No idea. Freaks me. We talked about on your our, the financial show we do about hedge funds. I can't wait to get educated on this. But my guest today is Armando Gutierrez, and he plays Jeff Bezos in Bezos, the beginning. Armando, thanks for stopping by, man. How are you? You're good. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Absolutely. How did this whole project begin? I know you're in. You're you're not just playing uh, Jeff Bezos, but you're very involved in the production of this as well. But how did that kind of start? Well, I mean, we, we have a great script, you know, that was written by R.V. Romero and Alison Burnett, who, who wrote Underworld and, and a bunch of other great movies. And um, I mean, what intrigued me was it's a story about him before he even decided to start Amazon when he was working at D.E. Shaw on Wall Street and, um, you know, had a very successful career uh, you know, had a great relationship with his wife. And and he stumbled across this this statistic that showed the Internet was growing at, at you know, over 2000 percent a year. And um, he decided, you know, let, let me explore this. And, and he identified books as a category where he thought you could compete in. 
um, pitched it to Mr. Shaw and, and um, you know, obviously the rest is history passed on it, uh, left D.E. Shaw and went out and started this thing. But it shows it shows the journey from Wall Street to Seattle to the eventual start of the website, um, you know, which was the very beginning of e-commerce online. Well, uh, let me ask you a question now about when you before he got into the Google about the hedge fund. How 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 did you find that? Well, it was it was intriguing. He was very successful. I mean, he he was a DE Shaw. He he was a had a very nice executive position, making a lot of money. Um, he was set. You know, ninety nine percent of people would have been like, "All right, I'm 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 set." And obviously, DE Shaw was growing, you know, leaps and bounds, and and is still a very successful organization. Um, so to leave that to start, you know, at what at that time was extremely speculative without any knowledge of what e-commerce was to, you know, he's like, oh, all right, it's, it's growing really fast and we're going to sell a lot of books, but, but we kind of got to figure out how do we build a website? <laughs> you know, how do we transact business? How do we purchase books and deliver them? Like, you know, you, you got to really go back. I mean, he was in a garage, <laughs> so yeah. it's not like yeah. um, it's not what it became now. And um, and even building an e-commerce website that would send orders to a distributor um, and then request them and then drop ship them to him. And then he just just imagine where they were back then. He was he was a tremendous futurist. He yeah. waited. He it, literally people think it was an overnight success. It truly wasn't, was it? No, no, no. He suffered for a very, very long time and was continuously battled battling you know cash shortages and uh you know issues with with growth issues with um even just launching the website just very basic technological issues that now you're like oh yeah you can get a website up on, on shopify in 24 hours but um back then he had to create the technology to even launch so um so yeah i mean it's it's a journey i think a lot of people will learn about the entrepreneurial side of of uh of jeff's journey the people around him that helped him create Amazon from the very beginning, the people that were trying to to slow his his success down. I mean, it's uh, the movie covers a lot of un, untold stories. Some of the things that I, I've always wondered about, you know, how do minds like Jeff Bezos, uh, Elon Musk, uh, all these all these people, the entrepreneurs, the, the forward thinkers, you know, what what, what motivates them? You know, the one thing that, that was universal from the very beginning when I was studying him was he always starts with what is the market size of what he's going to look at. Mm. That's the definitive first thing. It's like, is it a small market? Is it a giant market? And then who are the players? And and what are the barriers to entry? Um, which most people don't think that way. Most, oh, it's a great idea. Let's just go. Not, okay, well, the market's too small. You know, it's not really worth, you know, the effort or the market's huge and there is no competition. Um, so I think the barriers to entry and the size of the market are the two things that, that really catches attention that what motivates him to get you know, into something. I, I, I quick add to my business. I'm, I'm a financial advisor and it's the barriers that I have to, to uh, go out and explain to people what's available out there. Because what I tell people, 99% of the people I talk to have no idea what I'm talking about. And it's just, it's an <laughs> educational barrier. It's what it is. No, and I think he, um, I mean, the movie covers a lot of, of the growing pains, but I think he discovered what he's good at and what he's not good at. And he built a team around that. Um, he was great at identifying the opportunity and going for it and, you know, leading leading the herd to make it happen. Um, 
but but I think that the movie covers a lot of of the people that helped him and like his parents, you know, his parents that really took an interest and invested with him in the very beginning. And the people that didn't invest with him, <laughs> that didn't believe in what he was doing, <laughs> that are regretting it now. <laughs> and what you said about having a team around you, I mean, that's where I, I built my business. Because you know, not everybody can know everything. I have people tell me, well, my financial advisor, my attorney, give me all my financial and tax advice. I said, you may have the greatest advisor in the world, but it's what they don't know that's going to end up costing you hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, and undue taxes, fees, and lost opportunity costs. And I can see exactly what he's saying is you've got to have a team around you. It's like who, not how. People ask me, how do I do this? And I said, well, I don't know how to do it, but I know I know someone that does. And that's why you have to have a team. Definitely. And and there's no, you know, you don't become Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos without a strong team oh, behind you. Truly. You know? Think about it, Armando. He, his, one of his futurist goals and dreams was space. That many yep. years ago. Was that highlighted in the film at all about his love of space? Um. Yeah, I mean, he, he was always a dreamer. He always, you know, chased things that are bigger than all of us. Um, and I think, you know, his his grandfather was was a, a big motivator in in dreaming big. His his mom, I mean, a, a rock star mom that just pushed him. And and you know, I think the fact that his family um, and Miguel Bezos, you know, supported him, gave him the confidence to go bigger. And um, you know, and his wife supported him. His wife, you know, pushed him. No, let's give it a shot. What's the worst that can happen? You know, and and um, most most people would have stayed in Wall Street. I can tell you that most people would not have taken that venture and to leave that kind of money in the nineties yeah. and and uh, and and especially leaving a firm like D. Shaw where he had the attention of the big boss. You know, absolutely. Uh, go ahead, now. Okay, so no, I was going to say, how did you prepare to play him, right? Now, I don't know if you were a fan of Bezos before doing this film, but to play Jeff Bezos, how much studying, how much did you prepare yourself to play a role like this, especially as iconic well, as I, it is? First, I had to cut my hair. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no, I mean, I, I watched every bit of footage I could see, all his interviews, you know, just all, all the text I could find about him. Um, early, early videos from the early 90s to, to now. And how he evolved, how he changed uh, his mannerisms, his confidence. Um, he, you know, he was just a a, a, te a tech financial whiz that became an empire builder. He wasn't born an empire builder, and um, yeah, I mean, it, it it took me a good four months to really, you know, say, okay, I think mm -hmm. I think I figured him out. Especially, you know, his laugh, just how he responded to things, um, how he didn't respond to things when he got angry. Uh, you know, just the, the the different mannerisms of each phase of Jeff Bezos, because there's definitely two phases. There's the phase of him in the early 90s and, and him now. Um, you know, now he's got supreme confidence and and get out of my way because I'm going to make it happen. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it, it, it was a journey and I enjoyed every bit of it. And, and uh, you know, I'm obviously I'm very impressed with with what he's been able to do in one lifetime. And I mean, I, I I'm a frequent user of Amazon like all of us are. Yeah. Exactly right. Well, when, when's the movie coming out? I mean, uh, I, I can't wait to see it. Yeah, it comes out next Tuesday, um, you know, the 24th, and you'll be able to see it on, on uh, Apple iTunes and, and Google Play and, and on Amazon. You know, it's it's going to have several places, and uh, then eventually it'll be released on the airlines and, and so on and so forth. 
what's your hope for the goal for the film, especially in this this whole process? What do you want for it? What do you hope for the release and the expectation of what people get out of this? I, I'm an entrepreneur, so I mean, I, I get excited when people find uh, a level of motivation from, from the content we create. And I went into this saying, look, if this doesn't fire you up to start a business, nothing will. And and I believe this movie will 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 give that effect. And um, it's similar to a movie that, that we did several years ago called Walt Before Mickey that showed the early struggles of Walt Disney. And, you know, most people would have quit with the, with what he had to, to overcome. Um, but, you know, that, that was my my goal all along with this movie. I, I want to fire entrepreneurs up to, to give it a shot to go for it, to chase the dream, you know, at least chase, at least try it once, you know, you won't regret trying it. You'll regret not trying it. And, no, uh, not, yeah, definitely. I, and you know, a movie that fires me up all the time, watching the founder, uh, that yeah. kind of, a mo- I'm hoping that this movie can do that kind of level. Cause remember it didn't do at first the founder as well as it did once it was released. It didn't do as well in the theaters as finally later it's gotten a lot of, popularity because entrepreneurs just get you know want to have these motivations have these things to know hey the greatest people with the greatest success went through hard times because i'm an entrepreneur alan's an entrepreneur you are we know we're in these the trenches every day trying to make it and we have the good days we have the bad days what do you say to entrepreneurs after learning more about jeff bezos and how we need to stay the course don't quit and where you start is not where you're going to end up. And what you think is going to be successful is not going to be what's going to be really successful. Because he started with books, but there's no question that, that book, books is such a small percentage of, of the real profit generator of Amazon now. Um, it, was, it was what got him in the door. And along the way, he figured out, well, I can make a lot more money doing it this way. And I think he had the early inclination of not not carrying a lot of inventory, not paying for inventory, you know, the things that kill a business and, and kill the, ca- the free cash flow of a business. Because um, nowadays, you know, with, with Amazon seller services, you know, they don't pay for a lot of that. People just send it to them and they warehouse it for them. Um, Amazon Web Services, they're making money off of other people's enterprises and other people's streaming services and other people's businesses. Right. So, you know, it's kind of like the old saying, you know, make money while you sleep. He figured out a bunch of ways to make money while you sleep on top of making money off the products you buy. So, um, yeah. And also you have other projects going on right now. Where can people uh, learn about you? Tell us a couple of those really quickly about those other projects. Yeah. I mean, we, we have a couple movies out right now. Um, we have New York Christmas wedding on Netflix. Um, you know, we've got uh, Walt before Mickey uh, that, that I think is still, you know, a great inspirational story about Walt Disney um, you can watch that on Amazon and, um, yeah, we did, we did a live action little mermaid that, um, you can watch that on Tubi. So, you know, we, we're, you know, we just love what we do. We're very blessed and, you know, I hope to be making movies the rest of my life. Where can people check you out your website, Armando? Uh, my website, you can check me out on conglomerate.com. Okay. We appreciate it. Thanks again. appreciate it, sir. Thank you. All right, guys. All right. Thanks for having me. See ya. All right. You're listening Bye, to watching the Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show and also the Media Giant Effect. And my guest today, again, we're having this monthly conversation, is Gary Serac. He wrote the book, How to Retire and Not Die. And he today, off air, told me, which I was shocked, that he's 72. I would not have thought Gary was 72. And 
So because he runs like he's still running a business full time, which he is. It's amazing. And he's busy as can be. And Gary Serac, Gary, thanks for stopping by. But it's not it's, it's shocking to think about it. You know, people hear 72 and they're like, OK, I should be with my grandkids. I should be just, you know, mowing the lawn. You know, the, the different things that people think about when they think about retirement or in Florida. And you're not doing that. No, no, I won't be doing it either. Uh, I don't even own a lawnmower. So let's eliminate that one right away. Uh, first house I bought, my wife said, what are we going to do? Are you going to get a lawnmower? I said, never. And she said, <laughs> really? And I said, I'm never going to cut the grass. I've never cut a grass. Yeah, so that won't happen. You know, Neil, I, I a long time ago, I realized just observation. I, I saw so many people come through our system. My dad started the company 65 years ago. And we looked at all these people coming through. And what I realized over time is the people that were engaged in something business-wise, whether it was part-time or whatever they're doing, live longer. And, and they seem to have a more vivacious life. They seemed happier. And I always thought, boy, that would be me. And lo and behold, I turned 72 tomorrow and I, I have no intention of backing off. I don't work full days. You know, I come in at 9.30, I'm out of here by 3, 3.30. That's cool. I go for lunch for an hour, but I uh, I seem to get a hell of a lot done in a very short period of time. So that's where we're at. And the thing that you've seen is specifically enough, you put a good work day in six to seven hours as a business owner, especially what you do. Some people like half your age are putting in those hours. So it's not a big deal. You're still not really retired at all. I th What do you think when like you were starting to get in your 60s and everyone asked, are you going to retire, Gary? Because you have people around you, may, unless you're surrounding yourself with the right people that are saying retirement. You could even, your wife could be saying the same thing. Anyone around you, your family members, when they, when you get to that retirement age, which is 62 years old, and we all know that that's when the conversation starts. What did you say to people like, no, I'm not? Well, and I really did, Neil. I, I've been asked this question so many times. And it started around 60 when people said, well, how long are you going to work? And I'll tell you a funny story at the end of this. But I, I, what I said was that, listen, I have no intention of stopping doing something that I'm very passionate about. And I, I am passionate about this. I, I'm very keyed into my clients and how they're functioning and, and where they're going to be in their retirement. And I promised them when they got there, I would be there to help them. And I meant that, And although I had no idea what I was talking about. And lo and behold, there I am. And now I have a lot of people say, oh, you promised me that. I said, yeah, I know. So we're good. I'm doing that. And it's fun, Neil. I mean, I, I'm challenged every day. My brain works every day. So I, I keep getting asked the question. And I say, listen, why would you retire from something you really love doing? I said, and I'm not doing it so much now. Is every day nirvana? No. But most days are good days. And uh, and I'm okay with that. And if I can have uh, success, you know, I, I have people... Little old ladies hug me. That's one of the ways I get, you know, validation that I'm doing right things. So, you know, they come in and say, oh, my God, Gary, this is so great. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Thank you. And I say, well, you're welcome. I'm just doing my job. And, you know, I am. So it, it works out well. But I will give you a funny story, Neil. About 10 years ago, this client of mine who was an executive at a very large company, uh, she had a big job. She was going to retire. So her and her husband were there and they're talking to me and we're having a meeting and talking about their money, what we're going to do, all that stuff I do. And, and during the meeting, she said, Gary, we have a, a concern. And I said, what's that? She said, well, we're worried about you retiring and who would help us? And I said, well, and she said, no, no, 
you're the smartest person we've ever met. And I was silent for a few minutes and I thought to myself, huh? And I said, you know, you really need to meet a lot more people. So I, I said, I'm not retiring, but you have to broaden your purse. I said, yeah. Anyway, so I think about that and I think, you know, it, it's one of those things where I, I promised people I'd be there and I plan to be there. And I, I have no intention not to. And and I still like what I do most days. Well, so in, in the same thing with me and I'm, I'm 50, but uh, it's my business is full time, you know, social media, marketing, managing, doing the podcasting, doing all the different things. But everything is a new day. It's different. And I think that's the thing, your job, too. You talk, it's like interviewing, let's say I'm on business calls, coaching people all day, which I do sometimes. Every day is different. And that's what you're doing when you're meeting with people. You're good. And then you're catching up and you're learning about certain things and you're seeing their successes. You're seeing when they're down in specific ways. It's not like you're, you're working for a company in the corporate world that, you know, they don't certain things. So what about those people? I'm never going to retire. And that's for sure. I'm going to continue to do this. And if it ends up being just, I'll be podcasting and doing radio and television in the metaverse and everything at 120, that's fine. That's what I'll end up doing. But I have the luxury of doing that. What do you say to people that don't enjoy their job? But, you know, but, but they don't want, they want to stay busy. You know, because we get so in the grind. Just imagine, you know, in the corporate world where people are not are like working corporate every day, every day. They say, I hate my job, but it's great money. Or I, I hate my job, but I have to work. And then when they finally retire, they just feel like they're at a loss. Like, what am I going to do now? I'm in this house. What is this house? I'm with somebody, but I want to do more. We learned in COVID that, oh, that's what retirement would be if we were stuck in our house all day. So that's where I think your book definitely shows us. But any other advice? Well, inside the book, I really tried to help people figure out what it is they really want to do next. And I spent a lot of time on purpose and passion. Purpose is what you do for other people. Passion, what you do for yourself. And Neil, when I dealt with that, my whole intent was for them to figure out whether it's a part-time job. So I, I have a guy that loves to be outdoors. I mean, he and he's been indoors his whole life and he's an outdoor guy, but he's stuck in a corporate world. So he finally retired and he's a starter at the golf course and he's outside all the time and he's happy. And, and the golf courses are kind of cool. To, I mean, they're wide open green and you know, green space and, and blue sky. And so he loves what he's doing and he's not making great money, but he could care less. What he really wanted is something that fulfilled his time. that gave him something that made him happy. So I try and get people to think through what, what makes them happy? What would be a good thing for you to do? I have one lady that, that bakes. I mean, she's she never had time to bake. And now she bakes like crazy. She delivers cookies to fire stations and police off. I mean, she just does whatever she can and she's a damn good brownie maker, by the way, Neil. So uh, uh, she's like one of the best I've ever had. So I think to myself, okay, you just got to figure out what it is you want to do. And, and that's why it's important. That's why when you're young and the career tests and they try to see what are your skill sets. So you focus on what you do. I, again, took the Gallup organization's talent test and I have five talents. My number one's ideation, number two strategy, three's achiever, four's competitor. 
and five is communication. And if I could base my life around doing things with those five talents, I'm going to be happy. And I think a lot of times we mm -hmm. make a mistake where we choose something in our lives just because it's going to be safe versus doing stuff that we love and learn how to make money with what we love and have passion, passion and purpose. And that's what retirement's all about. You got to do something you're passionate about and have purpose. And it doesn't have to always pay. And that's the thing I said, maybe when I said, I'll never retire, I might just be doing my podcast, my radio show and television show, and have sold the businesses to somebody else someday. And just I'm happy just getting to go talk to people. I don't know. It's just if I could get paid just to do what I'm doing right now with you, Gary, all day long and be able to do, really do well, I would do it. Like Joe Rogan's the luckiest guy in the world, what he gets paid just to do the podcast. So it's $30 million, $40 million. So it, it is what it is. And that's what people need to do is wake up each day and say, is this giving you pa passion? Is this giving you purpose? And then you have to do the same thing for retirement. And Neil, you hit it right on the head. You and I feel exactly the same about this. I mean, when I can impact someone's life in a positive way, which we do, it's just such a rewarding feeling. And, and why do you walk away from something that's rewarding? You do your podcast. I get to be an interviewed person. I mean, I like doing this stuff. It's fun. It's creative. It makes me think. I never know what the questions are going to be. So my brain has to work. And that's pretty cool. I like keeping that active. And those are the things that really drive my bus, to be honest with you. That's how I, I get to come to work and feel pretty good about my day, knowing that I'm going to be having some challenges and then I have to think my way through those. And I like that. And, and sometimes they're very hard thought processes and difficult situations. I mean, I'm dealing with older people who have all kinds of issues. And you mentioned nursing homes or assisted living places. And I've got three clients in there now. And, oh, wow. and it's one of those deals where I look and I say, man, it's just really sad. And I've really tried to encourage their spouse. And in this case, they're all three men in, in the homes. But the wives, I said, listen, you have to go do something for yourself. You cannot be 24 seven tied to this because you need to have a life. And if you don't, it's going to drag you down and really take a toll on you. So it, it's one of those things where those are kind of the things I end up doing, Neil. It, it's it's creative. It's fun. I feel like I'm serving a purpose. But if I wasn't doing that and I felt like I wasn't, I would have to find something else to do. So if one point when it was kind of getting too much for you, what would you do in your next part? You're never going to retire, but the business at one point where you say, okay, now I just want to do this. What would it be, Gary? I, I would focus on the books. I, I have another book in my brain that, that we won't talk about today, but it's there and it's spinning. And so it'll finally get its way to paper and then it'll get its way, whatever it looks like. But uh, I'm going to stick with that. I like I like the interview side. I like doing what I'm doing. I like getting my message out. And and again, you know, someone said, are you making a lot of money on books? I said, are you crazy? I don't make any money on the books. I said, you don't make money on books. You know, if you're maybe John Grisham, you do, but, or Lee Child, but Gary, sir, it ain't going to happen. So I know that, but, but the point wasn't to make a lot of money, Neil, it was just to help people solve a problem they had. And I can still do that and not get paid. I'm okay with that. I still feel like that's a great purpose and it's a passion of mine. That's because you're out there 
building, continuing to build your empire, your business and enjoying and helping people because what you do in financial planning is absolutely help people. Because again, it's not just helping them with money, it's helping them with life. And I think Gary, what brings you and makes you special is you're looking at their life. A lot of financial planners are looking at the bottom line, hey, how am I doing saving money for you? And not looking at, well, there's a lot of other things you have to think about when you're planning someone's life for retirement because retirement's not the end. And that's the other thing. People think once I'm retired, I don't need someone like Gary. That's not true because there's a lot of other things to figure out throughout that time where you place the money, assets versus all that and you know, assets versus income. And income's more important than assets after retirement. And these are things that, again, we all think about, well, I'll see him once a year, but someone like Gary knows what he's doing. But again, you're using this in a way to tell him a story. So you see people, you know, create their wish list. And that's what I love, not a bucket list, a wish list. And there you go. Totally. I love my wish list. I, I added <clears throat> I added three things to it this weekend. You know, I, I sat for New Year's Eve and I said, okay, what are the three things I want to add to my wish list? And I popped three down on paper. You know, Neil, it's interesting too. I tell people and they and they laugh, but I'm dead serious. I'm skinny, but I eat all my meals. I, I quit working for money a long time ago. Yes, I get paid. Yes, I'm compensated, all that stuff. But that's not my driver. My driver is really, truly to figure out how can I make their life better? And then for some reason, my life gets better too. It's It's the weirdest thing. I stopped thinking about money and I made more than I ever dreamed because I don't care about it. I mean, it's good. I'm glad I have it and it works. But it's an interesting philosophy. If you think about it, it's giving something up and I got more than I ever dreamed I would get. So it's strange how the world works, huh? It's you just never know. And you learn things every day. And if you're not a lifelong <laughs> learner, forget about it. Best place people can purchase your book is at your website and on Amazon. But let's drive into that great website of yours. What, yeah, it's GarySurak.com. All right, Gary. And I have to tell you one thing, Neil, we blew uh, the doors off of December for Amazon, which I don't make much money off of Amazon, but it was still cool. We sold 255 books, which, you know, in the real world doesn't sound like much, but when you're an independent self-published guy like I am, pretty amazing. So we like, whoa, that was cool. So yeah, kind of fun. Absolutely. We appreciate it, Gary. Great talking to you, Neil. All right, you're welcome. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back. And just- We're back to The Neil Haley Show and also The Media Giant Effect, and I'm excited to welcome the program, Nita Bashir. Nita, author, uh, you know, talking about specifically a bunch of things about the importance of remembering people who have passed on in so many ways. Nita, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for having me. Now, Nita, tell yeah, me- Remembering people is important. Yeah, remembering. So tell me your mission and why you decided to have this mission. Okay, so I'm a widow, and when my husband first, I I hate saying it that way because it sounds like he second died, but when he when he died, I wanted to tell the story, tell his story because our grandkids didn't know him, and I had a lot of trouble doing that, and I thought, you know, everybody needs to tell their story so that the people that don't know them get to know them. They're more than I mean, even if they knew them. They're more than dad or grandpa or great grandpa, you know, or mom or whatever. We are complex people. And I just thought it was good to, for us to share. And plus, we have information. We have knowledge to share. We don't think we do, but we do. We yeah. definitely do. It's something when someone passes on, there has to be a legacy that you can talk about that person. So we need to jump on it before they're they, before they pass away. 
to get as much information and gather as much of that family yeah. history so that we can pass it on from generation to generation, right? Right. You know, and, and learn, you know, I ought to do my grandmother's because she raised kids during the Depression. So she told me lots of things about, you know, how to make the budget last, how to make the food last. It's like, you know, young people don't know any of those things. They haven't been exposed to it. I didn't know it, I, you know, until she told me about it. Exactly. They, they, they were going through things and they didn't know. And you learn from history repeats itself in so many ways and you got to understand and know those things so your mission is you wrote a book and also you do coaching correct kind of tell us i I do do coaching i coach um midlife women or widows so that they can live life so they don't quit living they do they live life to they can live it to honor their husband they can live the life to live that to leave their legacy because they have something to tell too and that challenge of being a widow, right? And understanding, you know, especially if they were the supporter and not as much of the the person doing everything. And now, oh my gosh, now I have to do it. And now I have to create my own life. Sometimes they live for someone else's life. Right. And you want to help women, even ones that haven't widowed, to make sure that they start to use that. Yeah. And how did you transform yourself in so many ways? when your husband passed to say, okay, I have to start doing something different or not different, but transform who well, I am. Actually, it was different. Um, I went through a lot of transformations, actually. Tried a lot of things. I tried to keep doing what we had been doing, which I couldn't do. It, it wasn't me. I mean, I could have done it, but it wasn't something that would have satisfied me. And I tried different things and I wound up and I quilt. So I, you know, it's like, oh, I'll be a quilter. I do quilt. I still quilt, but that's not my passion. And talking and helping people is my passion. So that's, that's what I do. You know, the first book I wrote was a guide to help widows beyond the grief. And then the next one, the one that I had, that just recently came out, it's really, it's a journal. It, it has the prompts in there for you to write about all sorts of things, but it reminds you like, hey, what, what did y'all fight about? Because, you know, no marriage is perfect. You know, what did, and, but then there's the good things. There's a lot of the good things, you know, what did you like to do on days off or what did you, what was your favorite movie? You know, things like that. So they can remember that it wasn't perfect, but it was perfect for them. Oh, wow. So they can remember the good times, but not forget the bad times, but ultimately, it's a way for them to cope through the loss and yeah. honor the person and don't think about the past and move on the future and say move what the future and, and use the past as a stepping stone is, you know, and one of the reasons I want to put some of the things and there's only like about five about unpleasant, I guess we would say. And that's because I don't want people to put their husband on a pedestal. You know, I don't want him to put him up so high that he was like, he was perfect. Because if he had been perfect, she probably wouldn't have liked him. Because there's, because the woman is such an important part of the success of a man and vice versa, especially in life. And what they're doing without that partner, there's a missing component, a missing piece for 
the whole person. Then once that ends in, in some sort of way, based on death or divorce or whatever, you have to then reinvent yourself, become yourself again. And I think that you're, you're teaching people, Nita, is saying, whoa, hold on here. That's great that you, as a couple, you do so many things together, but how individually have you come out of your shell to become who you need to be? Because yeah. so many women and men haven't done that as, at certain times to understand things so they can love somebody else or love something they want to do. Love themselves. Yeah. Yes. Love themselves. And um, you don't, they don't, I don't think it's really, you need to find who you were before because you're not who you were before now. So you need to find who you are now. You know, like I said, the quilting, I love the quilting and my husband loved my quilting, but that wasn't my passion. I do it for a hobby. I do it because I enjoy it, but it's not something I want to be teaching people. And you supported him through whatever he was doing. Mm -hmm. And now you say, okay, now it's time. So what do you recommend women today, even though, because other people were going to listen to the show, not just, you know, widows, right. but everyone else, what do you recommend women to figure themselves out before losing a loved one or choosing marriage? Well, or even if you go through, like you lose your job or you, you know, we have tornadoes and hurricanes, women lose their, lose their homes and to just stop and take stock, write down what you know you like. Write down what they know they like, what they know they don't like. And then start experimenting. If, you know, and get outside of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. I hate that phrase, but it's so true. Like walk outside your house. If you don't, if you normally go one direction, try going the other direction. I live I between two semi, I call them big towns are really small. But I live between the two of them and I typically go to one, but sometimes I will go, you need to shake it up. Let's go to the right. other one. They've got the same stores. They've got, they've got <laughs> roads. They have everything. <laughs> so every once in a while, just shake up your routine and do something just a hair different. You might see something that you had never seen before. And that self-development is something that I think so many people in this country are missing to develop themselves to yeah. become themselves. We always become part of somebody else too. And we forget to develop ourselves and to really figure out who we are as individuals. And I think it's the challenge of why there's coaches like you out there, Nita, is that everyone needs a coach. They need multiple coaches for multiple things. They need therapists, they need everything because you cannot trust your loved ones to be that for you because that's a burden for them. It is. That's a, that's and they're not going. They're going to take it personally at times. It's going to lead to arguments. It's going to lead to fighting. And if you have other people in your life that are here to serve you, to be part, to to develop that journey, that's what power of coaching is. Develop that journey. That's the power of a of a therapist. That's the power of having people in your life that are primarily focused on yourself not everyone else around you because it, it, it help you see, you know, um, I was listening to another coach the other day and he was talking about the seven levels of why, you know, why do you want to do that? Well, why, do you, you know, and you, you just keep going down until you figure out, Oh, I want it. You know, I mean, even something so simple like painting your living room, 
Yeah. Why do you not want it white? Because I like color. Well, why do you like color? And I get down to, it's like, okay, that's why. And I, yes, I'm still going to, I'm not going to paint. That's too much work, but I'm going to put a lot of color in my living room. Oh, and there's people who don't want color in their living room. They like the neutral look. Why? Why have we forgotten about self? That's the last question I have for this interview. Because again, I get therapy interviewing so many people, 9,000 plus interview people I've interviewed. I learned so many things, but this is a question to ask you because you've gone through that journey of losing a loved one that's so important to you. Why do we forget about self and why don't we develop ourselves more? Why are we afraid to think about ourselves? I think one of the things we're afraid to think about ourselves because we're afraid if we focus on us, we will forget about them. And we so seriously don't want to forget about them. But we have to remember, we have lost people all through our lives. I mean, as, as a child, people have moved away from you that you probably still remember. Your grandparents may have died and you still remember. My great-grandmother died when I was four. Oh. Okay, I'm 60-some-odd mm, now. I still remember her. Okay, so if I'm going to remember somebody 50-plus years that I only saw on weekends, Right. What are the odds that I'm going to forget someone that I live with on a daily basis? Exactly. So we have to, that's such a great point. We're going to lose people. One of my clients, uh, Dr. Mary, she talks about this all the time about loss. Loss is not just losing a loved one. Loss is any type of loss. And we're, yeah. it's going, we're going to be affected forever. It's never going to go away from us, that loss. We have to learn to deal with it. And some people never deal with the losses that we've had in our lives. We just move forward without really going through that loss process, going through without grieving the, the grief of the, and a loss is not just a loss of a loved one. And we have to understand that. And once we do, it's much easier when we do have those losses to say, okay, I'm not going to just go move forward. I'm going to first work through this because if it keeps, if it stays with us, that loss, it's very hard for us to move on. We have to work through it. And everyone has a different series of grief of how they deal with grief. And that individual takes, some people take longer than others and there's no wrong way to grief. Mm -hmm. There is not. And grief isn't linear. It's, it, it's like a tornado. You will think you've reached one point and you'll be happy. You're like, okay, good. I'm, I've reached this point. I've reached acceptance. And then something will happen and you'll be, oh my gosh, why? That's the entrepreneur journey. The business owner journey is you're going to go through that more than ever than anybody has a job because a job will have its peaks right. and valleys. But th this is the constant of somebody who's a business owner that you are and relying on. Yeah. And grief will do the same thing. Grief, yeah. So it's like, don't, don't expect to get you know, they, I think there's seven levels of grief. Don't expect to get to level seven and go, ha, I'm what healed. Are the, what are those seven levels? I'm, I'm interested in learning that. What are those seven levels? Uh, I don't really remember all of them. So there's denial. Right. If you deny that the person died. Okay. There's anger. Mm -hmm. And anger can actually take many forms. Like, I don't always tell somebody's like, I'm not mad at him because he died. I, I'm, I'm not mad. I don't understand this anger. I was mad at everybody else. So, yeah, I had anger issues. Um, there's 
there's acceptance and yeah, I don't remember because like I said, I don't really believe in all of them. Yeah. So I don't study them all. I'd be but, interested in looking at that because I believe that you have to work through them in some sort of way. To, you do, but I mean, and that's what I mean. They're not linear. They just, um, I don't remember what the names of them are. I wish I had thought about that to look it up for you, but there's, there's, I know that there's denial and the denial takes like a lot of forms because yeah. you deny that they died. Then you deny they were sick or they had the car accident or the tornado came or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. And then you deny that you're struggling. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay. We hold I'm these good. things in and then we blow up. We hold uh -huh. these things and we don't work through them. I think mm -hmm. that, and this is the, the, the point that the finished part of this interview today is that what you're teaching widows is gigantic because they were so used to that other person part of their life. Okay. And then right. that ends that my, I'm, I'm used to Dr. Mary talked about, cause she lost her husband. I got to connect you to, she's fantastic. Uh, Dr. Uh, Mary, uh, but she said she would not have, and she lost her husband a couple of years ago. She would not have oatmeal because she was so used to having oatmeal with him and would never still want to, would not have it. And it was such a hard thing to say, I'm going to finally have oatmeal. So these are these little things where we do this. And, you know, I, I guess the percentage of widows, a lot more are women than men, but it's starting to, uh, starting to little change but, because yeah. the life expectancy is a lot longer for men than it was before and for women. So it's very difficult, but it's that process. And Till we understand that and we're used to doing the same thing every day and then it disappears, what to do? Someone like you is a tremendous resource. Where can people find information on you so they can? Um, I have a Facebook page, Adventures of Widowhood. Then mm -hmm. they go, and right now, if you go there, I will put the link where you can buy the book, um, Our Story, A Widow's Love Story. It's a, as I said, it's a uh, journal. Guided journal. That's what I'm looking for. It's a guided journal, so they can they can answer the questions. And if one of them is they don't want to deal with it, turn the page and answer a different question. Oh, you. So let me real quick, if you don't mind, I'll give you. I looked them up. So we would have the seven stages of grief, okay. our disbelief, disbelief and shock. See, I put all of that in with denial. Denial is another one. Then there's the guilt and the pain, and bargaining, anger depression and acceptance wow but to get to acceptance it's not everybody is different and it depends on the loss so this is interesting you focus on grief mm -hmm. but think of all these losses and and we have losses every day it could be we a did. loss it, it, and we have and how we respond is how we stay as human beings if we're gonna you know think of young people today that can't stand their boss so they quit instead of okay i'm gonna eat this you know stuff and move yeah. on like you and I were taught. They're not taught. They said, oh, I'm just quitting. So there's a different, or we, I have a bad day and I'm going to, that leads to addiction. So, so many of those powerful things, but I, that's great. Your Facebook page, people need to check out. I appreciate it so much. Yeah, Nita, it was great conversation you. and I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You're thank welcome. You. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley show. And we'll be back in just a moment.
is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.